Not gonna hear me back here. Actually, it would probably hear me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> You're loud. <clears throat> you are loud. I'm so loud. I'm loud and Obnoxious. my <laughs> yes, but like my voice literally it uh it hits it's hitting multiple pitches at the same time. So like if I sing into one of those like things that'll tell you what pitch you're singing, it will read like not good. You're an alien. I'm an alien. Um, are we ready to start? Let's start. Are you ready to start? I am ready to start. Welcome to Murder Brunch. We are the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Joe. I'm Rachel. I'm Clinton. And this is our finale episode of season one. Wah, wah. No, that's not the right sound effect. No. We, we are. It was a foghorn one. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is the podcast where we give you two tales of mayhem and murder and decide where a killer lies on the scale of evil by Dr. Michael Stone. Hey, you finally got it last episode. We got it. What do you mean I finally got no, it? Also, no, that was wrong. What? It was wrong. It's Dr. Michael Stone's scale of evil. Oh. So, you know, it. thanks for bringing it up. Sorry. My bad. I try. Way the color out. <sighs> anyway, <clears throat> it is our final episode. 12 episodes. And we're all still alive. Barely. We all still friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> and uh, ready to kick this pig. That's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to kick a pig. <laughs> You've never heard that? <laughs> no, I haven't. Get, Have I? Wait, is it from a movie? When you, yeah, well, it, I think they use it in Down Periscope. <laughs> <laughs> so what if it's like like specifically for submarines? Why would it be specific? I mean, like, there are no pigs on submarines. What if What if the submarine is the, the pig? pig? <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you know where Kick the Pig comes from, please let us know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we go into anything, I bought presents Aww. for our end of episode wait hold on make sure that this Aww. one's yours nope that's very yours. kind i just got each of my co-hosts a bag of chocolate but this is something else oh my good oh no this is not <laughs> you did not make me a thing of banana jam <laughs> i made banana jam oh my, oh my gosh this is this, this is, is awesome this is a giant there's tub. also there's also something else in the bag so okay all right this is okay. fresh it's yeah. warm yeah Oh, yeah. I made it right before I came over. Oh, my gosh. But that was on a whim. Is it a recipe? Like, can I use it on bread? Yeah, like, what I mean, is it? It okay. was, it's an actual recipe. It's just how, you know, you make jam. <laughs> did you find your other present was, or did you was, lose there it? There was not. Okay. <laughs> I've got another present. Hmm. We'll have to find it. Aww. Oh, I love it. <gasps> Joe got me the Losers Club 1958 pin, which I'm a big fan of Stephen King. It in particular is my favorite book. So thank you so much. I'm putting it on. I'm putting it on right now. I got Clint. I don't know where it is, but Clint, I got you a pin as well, but it's a cat with a knife in its mouth. Aww. <laughs> no, it's probably under the like the little flap in the bag. <laughs> Look. Look at my pin. Look at it. I love it. Thank you so much. I don't see it. You're a good co-host. We'll find it. We'll find it. It's around somewhere. Actually, so I had bought you both other things, and they came in. It took a long time for them to come in because I bought them from Asia, and I lost them. You lost them? They're somewhere in my house, (laughs) or were thrown away, like, accidentally. Oh, no. But I had originally got you a tie pin. With the, like, the little chain. Right. And on one part, it's the red balloon, and then the other part was the paper boat. 
Love it. And then got you a keychain to the Stanley Hotel. <gasps> also a good one. Yeah. Or the Overlook. Overlook. Yeah. The Overlook Hotel. Oh. So if I ever find those, those would come at your presents. <laughs> I love it. Maybe what is that, that can be Is that our, your banana jam? This is my banana jam. I've got a homemade one of banana jam. No, no, no. Oh, both I see. You put yeah. it in yes. a different container. Okay. <laughs> those <laughs> are made from my bananas that I grow wow. in my backyard. Should we taste test it? Is that what we're doing? Well, they smell delicious. Taste it. Right? It smells like Christmas, right? That's good. What are those? That's really good. That'll be good on toast. Or maybe a waffle or something. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. I'll have to put this on something after this. I'm so excited. <sighs> Banana jam. We do have quite the spread waiting for us. A little uh, non-traditional in our format. Mm. Well, we had to go big or go home. Yes. Yeah, we're having a little podcast after party. There is a pot roast. There are chicken wings, there are empanadas, there is... A hot cocoa charcuterie board. Yes, I made it happen. Uh, a yes. regular charcuterie board. I made that happen. Brownies, donuts, we sausage brought, balls. Sausage balls. We brought sausage back the roasted burger. garlic from like episode okay. two. And the cornichons. And the cornichons. Um, and shrimps. Shrimp. Which I've been eating a lot of. Just so much food awaiting us. So, um, I, I did want to bring up a listener has sent in some information to us. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, I don't want to give her I name in case um, she would like to keep it, you know, private. But she had a comment on Grinch style. So we'll go back to Grinch style. Uh-oh. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And specifically my story where we talked about the wife who was abducted in the middle of the night, thrown over. The Grinch style story. Right. She had a really good theory on what happened. So we had talked a lot about how maybe it wasn't the husband. It's almost always the husband, but maybe this time it wasn't. And there were some kind of weird circumstances going around and she's convinced it was the husband. And her theory was her personality was changed drastically after the previous attack. He hired someone to put her in an institution, used his magistrate powers to cover it all up. And she died in a mental hospital. Ooh. And I thought that was a pretty good theory. So I wanted to share it with you guys because we never really considered that because that was popular in the forties to just lock. Especially, especially hysterical women. Yeah, and actually, that kind of feeds off because you said because we were like, why would he do it? What's his motive? And you, Clinton, actually brought up because she was different. Right. He was done with her. Yeah. I am familiar in the waves of women. No. <laughs> yes, I think you are are familiar in the ways of how you don't want to be around them when they're acting like that. When they're acting, with women quote, when they're acting like that. <laughs> Get a hold of yourself. Get a hold of yourself. Calm down. Slap, slap, that, slap. That no. always works. Terrible, terrible. But I thought that was an interesting theory because we never really considered that, you know, like, I think about that period and I think about forced lobotomies and things like that and you never know. That could have been the case. I just listened to um, the Dollops episode mm-hmm. on lobotomies. Yeah. It, it was terrifying. It and, and yet the Dollop is hilarious. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a history podcast. I did recently watch the Simpsons Halloween special where they get lobotomies. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same. And that's a a play on the pod people, isn't (laughs) it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a little listener mail for you. I like it. Send more of that in. Mm -hmm. More of it. And while you do that, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, please. Because it helps us tremendously. And we love to hear from people. Especially because we're going off the air for a couple of months between seasons. So to keep us warm at night, please send us your emails. Oh my God. 2021 Us will be producing the next season. That's true. That's right. This is a note for future Clinton. Um, get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> Step, up your, <laughs> Step, Step up your brunch. Step up your brunch. 
Um, that should be on a shirt. We've had a good, we've had a good brunches though. Like, I mean, I would say they're sporadic. I would like to think these brunches are single-handedly responsible for the majority of my weight gain in the Q4 of 2020. Mm. You're welcome. (laughs) But here we are drinking our Dark and Stormies. Is that what we're having? Oh, sorry. Yeah, that is our cocktail today. Our Dark and Stormies. Delicious, quick, great all around. And what is in Dark and Stormy? Oh, my apologies. Dark rum. The the preferred rum is the Gosling Black Seal one. But the recipe I looked up said, just find some crazy-ass... So I got the Kraken. So we have released the Kraken into these drinks. And so it's dark rum, ginger beer, and just a splash of lime juice. Now, I mean, traditionally you would pour the ginger beer first and float the dark rum on top so that it looks like a storm. You're being asshole. (laughs) How dare you? Actually, I I asked Rachel if she would like some assistance. (laughs) I looked at the recipe. And fight. (laughs) <laughs> I looked up the recipe, and this one in particular said rum first. Incorrect. <laughs> I know. I'm disappointed in me, too. I guess, our, <laughs> I guess our next round will have to be ginger beer first. They are good, aren't they? You like them? I like them. They're refreshing. I'm a longtime fan of all of the, the ginger beer drinks. The Mules, Dark and Stormies. Those are good. All right, are we ready to get started? Let's get started. All right, guys, buckle up because this is a um, this is quite a ride. This first story. Now, just to start off, Clinton, I don't have all the dates on this one, so you're just gonna have to oh, roll with it. All right, judgment rolling and off the trust curtain. Me, it spans, so you are gonna be upset. Okay, I'm drawing a timeline. Here we go. We start with Larry Riskin. Larry Riskin. Larry grew up in Washington State. He was really close with his family, which is a good guy. He joined the Navy at 20 years old and rose to the rank of commander. While he was living in California, he met a woman named Sonia Rios, who he thought was 30 years old, and they fell in love at first sight. She was flamboyant and extroverted when Larry was the opposite. He was a really sweetheart of a guy, but kind of like introverted, and she was very over the top. Also, from all accounts I can read, she was also very mercurial, you know, as the, as the best ladies are. <laughs> Tempestuous. I love how the opening to this sounds like a verse from Cell Block Tango. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so they, they loved each other. Sonia was very successful. She owned her own beauty salon. She drove a Corvette. So Ooh. she had plenty of money on her own. But she had a thing for servicemen. She lived close to one of the bases. And so when she met Dashing Larry in his uniform, she couldn't be stopped. I was going to say, you got to love a man in uniform. Mm -hmm. Got to. Despite the fact that she was a little secretive about her past, there was a previous marriage and divorce. She murdered him. (laughs) Plus this whole thought she was 30. We'll get back to that. They got married in 1990. They had three ceremonies. And despite Riskin being very close to his own family, that family was not invited to any of them. Is there a reason why they had three ceremonies? You know what? I'm not really sure. I think she just loved a party kind of thing. Okay. So it's kind of like, oh, we have to have one in the church and then sure. one for our friends and then one for the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one for the road. Just like a big drive-through yeah. wedding. They just did that yeah. real quick. Clearly not one for the family, though. One for her family, maybe. Yeah, because um, while they were not close to his family, they did visit the Philippines often to see her family, which she had a very large, extensive family in the Philippines. That's where she's from. And they might have had one of the ceremonies there as well. Oh, okay. Well, that would make sense. 
while they were in the Philippines, they got to meet her niece, Quincy, and nephew, Jetmark, as children. Oh my god, I want to name my kids those names. <laughs> They're pretty cute. Jetmark. Quincy. <laughs> Attorneys at law. No. <laughs> Larry loved them. Loved them, loved them, loved them. Really wanted to adopt. How could you not? Their names are Quincy and Jetmark. He really wanted to adopt them and bring them to the U.S. to give them a better life. Especially because he could not have children. So Sonia wasn't really crazy about having kids, but she agreed and she said she would do the paperwork to get Quincy and Jetmark brought to the United States. They visited the Philippines a lot to the point where Jetmark and Quincy called him Papa. You know what I mean? Like they, they loved him just as much as he loved them kind of thing. Cool. Um, and he used to, you know, pay for some of their education stuff and, you know, really take care of them. So he, he was already like crazy about them. So in 1995, Larry leaves the military and becomes a special ed high school teacher. He's very popular with his students. He's very popular with the other faculty. He has a friend there named Eileen Stevens. They talk about how he wants to adopt the kids. You know, they become really close. And as five years have gone on and Sonia still has not officially adopted her niece and nephew, Larry gets fed up. He's like, this isn't going to happen. I really want children. And so he begins seeing Eileen Stevens. Oh, no. Yeah. When Sonia finds out, she goes crazy. Okay. She tells the school that Larry's on drugs. Ooh. She tells one of the student's parents that Larry and Eileen are abusing that student. So she, she just goes nuts. She's just going crazy. She's going scorched earth. Yeah. Sonia does not like it when people don't do what she wants. That's the thing is that like a lot of what I read and heard, Larry was only happy when he was making Sonia happy. Like, Sonia would make you miserable if you didn't. That kind of thing. That kind of lady. Mm, that kind of lady. <laughs> I know the type. Yeah. So, Larry... That's you, Clinton. <laughs> make me happy. <laughs> Larry and Sonia agree to divorce. You know, they've decided their marriage has run their, its course. But... Did they, by some chance, divorce three times? No, you they know. did not. <laughs> They'd have to, right? To really make it binding. But they would divorce after he visited the Philippines one more time to see the kids. So while they're there, he goes over. Sonia stays home. He goes over. He wants to see Quincy and Jetmark. So while he's there, they're planning the 16th birthday party for Quincy. He's in it. You know, I mean, he's helping. He's paying for stuff. He's, he's amazing. And while they're there, another cousin, April, has an eye infection that he notices. And because they don't have the means or whatever, she hasn't gone to a doctor. So he's like, I'm going to take her to the hospital to, to see if her eye's okay. Because he's a good dude. And so he takes her to the hospital to check on her eye, gets medication, whatever. But when they're leaving the hospital, two men on a motorcycle pull up to Larry's side of the car and shoot him dead. Wow. Despite being at the hospital, they are unable to save him. He's shot in the head and the stomach. Oh, no. Yeah. So Larry is dead. I know. It's very sad. Police cannot find the specific shooters, but determine it was a hired hit. And the only suspect who would have hired someone to kill Larry is Sonia Rios. She stood to gain over $1 million in insurance money. Poor right. April. Yeah, I know. Being in the car. Well, and, and uh, Quincy might have been in the car, too. Like, I think it was like a, a, like a, a full car. Like That's that. so sad because, I mean, here's this nice man who took you to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, and Oh, Jetmark actually was in the car because they interview him later and he talks about what. And he's like, I couldn't see who the shooter was, but there was this loud bang. And, you know, you know he's little. Oh he's gosh. like 14 or something. So when he dies, reporters start looking into it because it's, you know. It's a, hmm, this is going to sound terrible, but it's like a juicy murder case. He's ex-military. He's this beloved special high school teacher. He's been shot dead in another country, all this stuff. So one reporter starts really looking into it and Sonia's past 
starts to come out. So we are moving over a little bit to another gentleman named Earl John Duke. That was his nickname, Bordeaux. Duke enlisted in the Marines at 18 in 1963. 1963. He was stationed in the Philippines and he fell in love with Sonia. Again, a very love at first sight kind of thing. They get married quickly. His family meets her for the first time when he brings her home and says, this is my wife. This love story sounds very much like her and Larry. But it also sounds very 60s. Sure, sure. In California, I believe that's where they ended up being. He worked two jobs to keep her in the life she wanted. And she also tried to separate him from his family, much like she did with Larry. She cheated on him. One of their family friends was like, are you, are you, was like secretly, are you cheating on Duke? And she's like, I'm dating a doctor. You know, that kind of thing. Like she, she cheated on him with several men who were of. Well-to-do. Well-to-do, professional status, who were giving her money. You know, things like that. So after being married for 21 years, they decided to divorce. They were married for 21 years. So she was And her young. husband thought, and Larry thought she was 30. So she got married Correct. when she was nine. Yeah. <laughs> so she was most likely in her 50s when she met Wow, Larry. that lady better is probably look good. Oh, yeah. You need she, to know what kind of moisturizer she used. <laughs> she definitely had him uh, bamboozled. Oh, Larry. So I know. So that would be... So, some quick math. Yes, please. If they met slash got married in 1963 mm. and then were married for 21 years. Probably um, married a little. He joined the Marines in 63. Okay. But at some point he was stationed. Over, so, <clears throat> we're saying like in the next five years or so he, he met her. Okay. So, that this puts us somewhere in the mid 80s, potentially up to early 90s is when Something we're talking like about is when her 21 year marriage no, maybe it, it had to be in the 60s because she married Larry in 1990. In 1990. So she got rid of Duke and almost immediately no. met Larry. No, she, and this comes out later. Larry, she married Larry 19 years after. Then how does that work? I don't know. I told you not to focus on the dates. Just go with it. All right. So we. <laughs> so if she was married for 21 years and then didn't Maybe. marry again for 19, that's 40 years already. Maybe they're counting the 19 years in the 20. No, I don't know. Guys, we're just going to have to go with it. She was okay. married to that guy for a really long time. She waited several years before she married Larry again. Okay. All right. All right. The important thing though is, uh, yeah. Married, married in 1990. She was not 30 years old. She was old. not yes. 30 years old when she married. That's the important thing. Unlikely. So, married for 21 years, then decided to divorce. Sonia said she would she would divorce Duke after he went to the Philippines to sell a family tax business, taxi business. So, he goes, his brother is like, don't go. I feel like this is a weird setup, you know, that kind of thing. And he's like, I have to. She's making me. Who knows what, how she does it? I mean, like, she has this incredibly manipulative control over these men. So anyways, he goes, while there, one night, he's asleep on the couch, and he is executed in his sleep. Someone comes in and shoots him in the head. It was reported as a break-in, but five people were arrested, including two of Sonia's brothers. Oh. After that arrest, the investigation was stopped. So no one looked for any ties to Sonia. Tens of thousands of insurance money went to Sonia and helped her become the Corvette-driving, beauty salon-owning temptress that Larry met. Tale as old as time. Yeah. 
Earl's body was eventually sent back to his family from the Philippines, but Larry was cremated in the Philippines. And the story of how Earl's body discovery is, is nuts. They, they didn't find it for several, like they didn't find it until they started investigating Larry's stuff. So we're talking almost 20 years later. Tips were called in about it being entombed. They found like a sack full of skeletal bones and those were linked to, to Duke. It was this whole thing. But they did eventually find his remains and they sent him back to his family. So he went to the Philippines to visit and, and you know, finalize some business stuff. He was murdered and then they lost his body. Correct. Cool. So uh, Larry... Sack of bones. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole side story. If you want to look into it, you can check my sources. Gross. Um, Larry was cremated in the Philippines, and Sonia said she didn't know where the ashes ended up. And so obviously Larry's family are devastated. They want him back in some shape or form. So his sister, Shirley, really gets involved in this investigation. She's trying to find out where Larry is and all that stuff. Sonia won't tell her where they are. She says she doesn't know. Shirley did receive a box of Larry's belongings from Eric Dela Cruz, which is Sonia's grandnephew. Eric was very close to the family. He called Sonia and Larry grandma and grandpa. He lived in California, that kind of thing. And I guess he went in the house, boxed up some of Larry's stuff and brought it over to Shirley because he felt bad. Uh, and so there, there were like his medals in there and stuff like that. But she still couldn't get the ashes. And so Shirley started getting emails from a gentleman named John, per- John Bordeaux. As we remember, that's Duke's hmm. last name. Claiming to be Sonia's son and saying he could get her the ashes for $35,000. Mind you, Sonia has not mentioned a son right. through this entire time. But all of a sudden, John, I, I want to say John, but it's not, it's John. It's John. I don't know why well, I keep doing the that. The Bordeaux. Yeah, that's what's tricking yeah. me. <laughs> but it's John Bordeaux. Is like, I can get you those ashes, that kind of thing. For $35,000. Everybody's in for a buck. Whew. So uh, a reporter who was involved, who was starting to like uncover some of these details and stuff like that, he started getting threatening phone calls. Sonia became paranoid because news articles were starting to come out and she thought something was being linked back to her. She thought her phone was being tapped. She thought she was being followed. All this stuff, right? Shirley's emails from John start to change. Instead of being, I can get you the ashes, he says, I can kill Sonia. Oh. Yeah. He's like, he's like, you know, she did it. My own mom. You know, she did it. I'll take care of her for you. That kind of thing. Okay, who the fuck is this guy? One day, someone came to her shop, her beauty shop, and took a shot at her. They missed, but, you know, she calls the police. She's like, what the hell's going on? That kind of stuff. Well, that one's going to get a bad review. (laughs) (laughs) Nine days later, Sonia is dead in her home. Finally. She was shot execution style in her pajamas and bathrobe. Someone had gotten in. It, they believe it was someone she trusted because she lived in this, like, mansion and had a high security, you know, and big gate and all that stuff. The person who called in the murder was John Bordeaux. He said, I found my mom. She's, she's dead at her house. Please come quick. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. All right. He's 44 years old. Yeah. So, like, that's what I'm saying. Her age is a, just just a big mystery all over the place. Okay. When she died, they said she was 60. Hmm. So that's what I'm saying. Like, these ages are all over the place. I also, so... And she died one year, almost a year exactly after Larry died. Hmm. So, so one, do we think John Bordeaux is actually Sonia's son? Let's keep going. Okay. Let's keep going to the end. Okay. 
He was born before her first marriage. He was, uh, you know, old fashioned, but he was illegitimate. And he was adopted by Duke. So that's why he has Duke's last name. Okay. 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 Despite there being no photos, cards, or mentions of her son anywhere in the house, he was the sole heir on all of Sonia's documents. Okay? Okay, but still, DNA? Yeah, no, he was, he, I, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he is her son. He is her son, biologically. Okay. Yeah. John Bordeaux was obviously the main suspect, but it was soon discovered they found out the emails were not coming from him. They were signed John Bordeaux, but they were not coming from him. And someone else shows up at the lawyer's office to collect money from Sonia's estate, only to find out everything is left to John. That person is Eric Delacruz, the Ooh. nephew. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, the one who called Sonia and Larry grandma and grandpa. Right. He was literally the one person, like everybody says, the one person Sonia truly loved. She okay. was basically grooming him to be her protege. But he was, never, he was never her son. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So he became just like her. And he's like, I want that money now. So Dela Cruz and his friend, Fernando Romero, are arrested in 2009 for the murder of Sonia Rios Riskin. They got 26 years in prison. And technically, Larry and Duke's murders are considered unsolved. Hmm. So... But they, but there's a common consensus that Sonia, it's Sonia. It's Sonia. Right. Yeah. Well, there's even some theories that Sonia was like head of a like a mob, like a mafia in the Philippines, well, and that a lot of it was her family members and stuff like that. But she was like the lead person, and so she just ordered executions for who knows how many people. I like mean, that would explain why she has so much money because I mean, thousands, you know, tens of thousands of dollars are great, but it's not going to last you that long. Right. Right. Yeah, that's not even a Corvette. Like. Yeah, and as far as I know, she just owned the one beauty salon. It yeah. was very popular. Like, she did well there. But yeah, she, she was getting money She probably had it to launder money. Maybe, yeah. So that is the twisty, turny tale of Sonia Rios Riskin. Yeah, I even thought, honestly, by the point when in the story where John Bordeaux was introduced, I assumed he was in cahoots with Sonia right. to be like, yeah, I'm going to get more money out of them. Yeah. The ashes. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, and to be fair, like he is—he's probably the the one, like, well, not the only, but he was an innocent person in all of this as well. He was just trying—I think he was trying to like build a relationship with his mom. It was not working out, and she kept him in the dark and stuff like that. And he did get all her money. It's so weird that he would be not mentioned, no photos. She doesn't talk about him, and almost like you know. Puts him in the corner and, and forgets about him. And yet, on all of her paperwork, he is her heir. I'm guessing that's because he was her true blood relative. Maybe she saw him as the one person who wouldn't betray her. That might be it. I mean, because if, you know, everybody says that it was her, her nephew that she actually loved, mm-hmm. then of course he would be on her documents or something. But she probably... Recognized. S- she saw yes. the writing on the wall. Yeah. She's like, he's turning out just like me. And of course, if she's the kind of person that it kind of seems like she knew who was a tool to be used and who wasn't. Yeah. That love that she had for her nephew was probably not genuine. Right. So that was uh, was a good one, right? That was. That was really (laughs) twisty. I didn't know what what was going to happen. I watched that movie. Yeah, it's wild. And, you know, some news articles you look up about it, it's very factual and just kind of lays everything out because I think because it is so 
convoluted. Right. But if I could just say one of my sources real quick, this is an episode of Dateline that is phenomenal to listen to. It is called the um, the Black Widow of Lomita. That's the city she lived in. And like when they said Eric Dela Cruz was the person who did it at the end, I literally gasped. I was like, <laughs> and that's their podcast, right? Yeah. Okay. Which I think are their episodes like turned into podcasts. Okay. But it was very good. And so that was one of my sources. And it was, um, it's just, it was just chilling. Like, cause you're following this whole thing. She's obviously a murderer. She's doing all this thing. And then she dies. I was like, what is happening? It's so, karma, baby. Yeah. So shall we talk about the scale? Let's talk about the scale. There's so many people. Who are we putting on this scale? I'm going to put Sonia on it. Okay? okay. I decided that Fernando and, and Ernest and um, Eric are murderers, obviously, but their murder is not interesting to me. It was just for money and that kind of thing. Sonia is interesting to me because she's, well, let me explain with why I put it on the scale. So the scale, please, Joe. Can you tell us about it? Okay, so, uh, but I just want to say, so we all we do have to make, albeit a small leap, and just assume that Sonia did those murders because she wasn't convicted or... There's no true. official. I'm going to go ahead and say that there's nobody stopping us here. So I think we should go ahead and do it. <laughs> well, it's true. No one will stop us. Except for me. Yeah. No. <laughs> Is that okay, Clint? Can we do this? <laughs> I yeah. will allow it. <laughs> so so then what we're, we're discussing here is where Sonya will fall, who we're going to put two murders on her. Yes. Of, previ- of husbands. Yes, correct. Okay. All right. Black Widow. Okay. And of course, we're putting her on the scale of evil by Dr. Michael Stone, which you can find more information about in his book, The Anatomy of Evil. The scale ranges from level one, which is justifiable homicide, all the way to level 22, psychopathic torture murderers with torture as their primary motive. The motive need not always be sexual. All right, Rachel. Okay. So I have three levels that I was thinking about. Ooh. 10, which is killers of people in the way and marked by egocentricity. So obviously cares a lot about themselves. Okay. okay. Killers of people in the way. 11 is fully psychopathic killers who kill people in the way. So it's a, it's a slight distinction. I thought that was actually interesting that Dr. Stone had two levels that were so close to each other. But this is, they are true psychopaths. And number 14, which is rageful, self-centered psychopath schemers. So it's people who are angry, but also planners. All right. You do love 14. I do love 14. I know. I hover there sometimes. All right. It's, uh, it's a throwback to episode one. <laughs> Full circle. Okay. So thoughts. I Out of the three, I actually think she's closer to 11, which is the fully psychopathic killers who kill people in the way. She never does the killing herself. But I think she is psychopathic. I like there's something about her that feels very broken. I will give you psychopathic schemer. For sure. This is a pretty elaborate, you know, like she is building an empire here on the backs of dead husbands. Right. I mean, it worked once. Let's try it again. That's basically. But she did wait almost 20 years in between them. So that is a lot of planning. But do you think she wasn't doing anything else in those 20 years? I don't think she was murdering anybody. But it does sound like there are the red flags of an abusive, a mentally abusive relationship. Very much so. And, you know, the separating of them from their families or any other support system, the making false promises, uh, apologizing and in, in not meaning it and all that. Spreading rumors at his work, things like that. Well, so that, that was after. Well, no, that was, that was when he said divorce. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like in their relationship, in right. their time of their relationship, before divorce or any kind of like falling out, it was still... 
a very manipulative and abusive relationship, it seems. Right, which makes me lean towards the rage stuff, because I think she does have, like, anger management issues. That sounds very simple, but, like, that's where I think a lot of that comes from. I would see that as more like a narcissism, like a malignant narcissism. Mm. And not so much rage, but, like, a... A need to control everything around her to benefit herself. Okay. And on 14, it also says ruthlessly self-centered. So I think she I think she fits ruthless. I would think so, especially if it's just a, a murder for hire for... Right. Because we don't, we don't know why... She, what was the provocation for her to, mar- or to murder Duke? He wanted a divorce. Okay, so they they both wanted divorces, and she's like, okay, well, I will give you the divorce. Yeah. Over the, my dead yeah, body. Over the, your dead body. Yeah. In the most literal of ways. Right. So, 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 but you're saying no rage, and 14 is rage. I mean, it almost is it, seemed to... Though, that's what I had down. Is Do I not have that? Well, so I have ruthlessly self-centered psychopathic okay. schemers. Maybe I just 14. wrote that down wrong. For me, it doesn't really seem like a lot of rage, more like a business transaction. So maybe 14 does work then, ruthlessly self-centered. She is straight up a schemer. I cannot not call her. There's too a much, schemer. right? Like and like, like one even of the like stringing like the cheating on the first husband with several men for money. Like mm-hmm. let's be honest. And pushing him into wanting the divorce and then killing him, taking the insurance, repeating the cycle. Yeah. Like, well, and not only that, but when, um, I actually forget which one it is. I think it's when Larry dies, they call her to say, your husband has been killed. Like Jetmark calls her or something like that. And she says to him, it's okay. I'll take care of it. And so it's, everything will work out. And so like, so there's no emotional response. Right. Exactly. Right. Because it was all planned. Right. So yeah, I wouldn't. I don't see rage. I see more like she knows what she needs, and she's just taking those steps to get to where she wants to go. So, so, but do we think she's killing people in the way? Because that's ten and eleven. True. Yes, I think it's the. I think it's. Well, I don't I, think they are in the way. I think they're part of the plan. Yeah, I mean, not so much in the way because they're not standing in front of anything, but they're a means to an end to get money. Right. But she's. I think she's happy to keep them around as long as they're doing what she wants. I but once they, they start to, but once they start to want the divorce, once they start to want out, that's when she's like, "Then I'm done with you." Right, which is not in the way because she could just be like, "Okay, go." Right. I feel the divorces were, if not necessarily planned though, but I mean they were they were the end game. Right. For sure, collect insurance, move on, do it again. So we're saying I feel that way now. I want to throw something oh, out sure. real quick. Oh God! If you say sixteen, I swear to God, are you? So- <laughs> Category 15 is psychopathic, cold-blooded, spree, or multiple murders. Spree, though, is all those murders happen at once. Okay. True, but I mean, multiple murders isn't. I know, but I don't think she falls in that one. I do feel, though, I, can, I can't I can move away from psychopathic schema. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm fully on board for 14. And not only that, but spree, multiple murders, also makes me think that she is doing the killing. Whereas this one, she had everything. That right. is true. Yes. That's yeah. true. She pulls no triggers we know of. So... For the board, Sonia Rios Riskin at a solid fourteen. And uh, and who else? Uh, who else has a fourteen? Uh, sure. I believe Peter Manuel has a fourteen. But does he? <laughs> but does he? <laughs> All right. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, woo! I'm exhausted. That one. That one took a lot out. Of me. Even writing it down, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much happening. That in this was one. very exciting. There's a lot of twists and turns. Thank and, you. And uh, drops out of nowhere. I really wanted to do a good one for our finale. And you did. Thank you. Me too. Okay. All right. And it took me, like, I went through a couple of different, like, things. So I should do that or I should do this. And then I kind of settled on something. Okay. Which, um, 
again, and this seems to be a theme with me, it's a, a it's an unsolved murder, or is it? <laughs> <laughs> is it also in, uh, what was that state we hit like two or three Tennessee? times? Tennessee? Was it Tennessee? Tennessee, no, it's not, in, it's okay. not in Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> not Knoxville, Knox County. Yeah. Knox County, no. I have strayed away. Went all the way to Malta. No, oh, I was going to say, we're back to Malta. <laughs> all right, go ahead. Are you ready for this? Ready Are you ready for this? Okay. All right, go ahead. All right, so we're going to talk about the lead mask mysteries. Ooh. On August 20th, 1966, so we're in the 60s again. Mm. It was a beautiful day in a little town called Niteroi, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. The kind of day that makes one want to go out and fly a kite. And that is exactly what 18-year-old Jorge da Costa Alves was doing on Vintim Hill. Flying a kite? He's flying a kite. An 18-year-old? He's in his 60s. Okay. <laughs> they didn't have the internet back then. <laughs> it was very hard to get some porno. Sure. Sure. It's true. I haven't flown a kite since the Since Until the came. 60s. <laughs> How old is Clinton? <laughs> I got. He's just I say like I'm that 30. <laughs> uh, but he's been married for 40 years. <laughs> um, the hill itself is probably not what you are picturing in your mind. It's covered with tall grass and thick brush. Okay. So it's it's not until George is almost on top of them that he discovers two bodies. Ooh. They are both men. <gasps> Sorry, go ahead. Why you gotta do that? No, I just I every I, time. Sorry, every time. Sorry, no. <laughs> you guys were guessing on mine too. Stop. Okay. 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 Right. They are both men, both well dressed in formal suits and rain overcoats, and strangely, both are wearing matching, obviously homemade lead masks that resemble sunglasses, like Terminator oh. style sunglasses. They're, are they like their glasses and then they're like something draped over their mouths? No, nope, nope, just nope, the glasses. It's just okay. the glasses. You can find pictures of them. It just looks like hammered out pieces of lead that cover the eyes. The police are immediately called and what they find is a head scratcher. <laughs> Neither man has any signs of trauma, no wounds at all, no sign of a struggle. And along their bodies, they find an empty water bottle a receipt for said water bottle, two small wet towels, and a notebook. Strangest of all, inside the notebook, apparently stuck in among innocent work notes, was a mysterious message which read, 1630, be at the determined place. 1830, swallow capsules. Oh. After effect, protect metals, wait for mask signal. Okay. Show up somewhere, pop a pill. <laughs> Wait for mask signal. Yes. This sounds like a Tuesday at your house. <laughs> Thursday. <laughs> Sorry, I forget what we said Tuesday was. One thing I wish that I could have found was like a picture of the note or mm. or someone who wrote it out the way that it was written down because the way it's written could change the meaning, right? But I, I didn't find any of that. I mean, a lot of times people just wrote it without punctuation at all. So who knows? But it was jotted down in the It was jotted down, yes. I did look up the pictures, and yes, it looks literally just like a pair of sunglasses made out of lead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tightly fit to the face. Okay, so what does it all mean? Who are these men? How did they get there? Let's talk about it. 
I was going to suggest maybe they were flying kites. <laughs> you would be wrong. You can't see the kite if you're wearing lead masks. That's true. And lead kites do not fly well. Oh, no, they don't. Just depressing. Okay, well, it didn't take long for the police to identify the two men as Manuel Pereira de Cruz and Miguel Jose Viana from Comps dos Giota Catza. I practiced too. I did, I practiced. We appreciate your efforts. Comps dos Goita Casas. Goita Casas. Lovely. Sounds magical. Okay. Which is 110 miles from Niteroi, where they were found. Both men worked as electrical technicians. And according to friends and family interviewed, they left their town three days earlier on August 17th, stating that they needed to buy some electrical supplies not available in their town. And we're going to see about a used car they were thinking of purchasing. And though they assured everyone that they were traveling to San Paolo and would only be gone for an afternoon, for some reason, they decided to take a three to five hour bus ride to Niteroi. A three hour bus ride. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> now I'm going to have to decide if I'm keeping that or not. <laughs> they took with them about what equals to 2000 US dollars for these supposed purchases. Of course, everything is, is Brazilian and in the 60s, so their currency was different. That was the, the note that I was going to make is the... Um, journal entry? The, yeah, the journal entry was in Portuguese. Right. So it's been translated, and again, how it was written, does that change how one would, would determine? Right. Okay? But I don't know. So they took about $2,000 with them, which is not a small sum, of course, for these people who, even though they were electric... electric Electric technicians. They were TV repairmen. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, that's what oh. one person said. Oh. <laughs> I'm not being a jerk. Okay. However, when found, they had only a fraction of the money on them. And though they did make some purchases, none of it was enough to account for the total of the missing amount. Those lead masks are expensive. They made them. They're expensive. <laughs> All that lead. Once they arrived in Niteroi, they did in fact go to an electronics store for their supplies. However, there is no proof that they bought anything there. So they just like, but they were seen there? They were seen there. They looked around. They didn't talk to the clerk or anything like that. So they just went in, kind of looked around and then left again. After leaving the store, they stopped at a nearby clothing store where they bought two suits and raincoats. However, apparently they were in such a rush to leave that they ran out into the rain without putting on their coats. Hmm. After this, they show up at a bar to purchase a bottle of water. According to a worker at the bar, the men seemed a little nervous and Vienna especially seemed to keep checking his watch as if they were worried about being late for something. 1630 on the hill. That's right. Now a small yet seemingly important detail happens here in the story. Miguel keeps the receipt for the water bottle. And this is because Brazil has a program that allows people to return the bottles for a money credit if they have the receipt. Because it, it was probably like a glass bottle. Or right, something. yeah. Right. right. So this act of keeping the receipt would seem to suggest that Miguel had plans to return sometime later that day to return the bottle before going home. I think that's a little loosey-goosey. You could have just thrown the receipt in your pocket. 
I mean, yes, they have the return policy, but I mean, if you're not thinking, you're thinking about that pill you got to take, you just stuff it in your pocket. I mean, no. why didn't it, you just leave it at the bar? And it didn't mention that he kept the receipt for like the, the raincoat or the raincoat or anything. Yeah, that's true. Like this one stands out. Yeah, it's the only thing they found. Okay. And admittedly, could be like a a muscle memory. Like if you're so used to buying bottles, keeping the receipts, and doing this, then I could see that being a habit without a, a bigger like. Yes, I, I right. intend on using this later, but I don't know. A bigger ado. Yeah. Unfortunately, however, this would be the last confirmed sighting of the men alive. There was a possible sighting of the two at the hill itself. There was a witness statement that the two arrived at the hill riding in a Jeep with three other men, the driver being a man with blonde hair. However, the witness cannot be 100% sure as they were not close enough to see very specific details. So could this have been a murder? Seems unlikely. One could theorize that the two men were victims of a robbery gone wrong, but that would mean the murderer or the murderers would have taken time and effort to stage the scene and leave some of the money behind. Also, as mentioned before, there were no signs of struggle or harm to the bodies. Could it have been a suicide? Seems a little unlikely as well, being that Miguel had plans to return the bottle and there were no signs of self-harm or drug overdose. However, though these two possibilities have been deemed unlikely by authorities, there are holes in their thinking, in my opinion. First of all, the investigation was not what we would consider airtight. (laughs) The bodies were called in, but because they were called in so late at night, they had to wait until the morning to go up the hill well, and investigate. They, they have flashlights. Get the butts up there. Oh, this is what they decided. Oh, and because it's the 60s, they didn't close the crime scene. So before the police could investigate the scene, reporters and bystanders had been all over the hill looking at the bodies. Goddamn looky-loos. Also... Though it was noted how strange it was that the two had been laying out for three days in an area with much wildlife and insect activity, they were pretty much untouched, weird in its own right. A toxicology report and autopsy were never officially performed. Why not? There's a note that says, take a pill, and you're not going to... Okay. (laughs) There is no definitive reason why these were not performed. But most likely the coroner's office was backed up and being that there was no actual evidence of a crime committed, the government did not want to use the time and resources. Too many bodies. But let's go back to the notebook and the cryptic message for a minute. So just to uh, remind us and our listeners, the note was 1630 be at the determined place. 1830 swallow capsules. After effect, protect metals, wait for mask signal. This message was written like a scrawl, as if noted in a hurry from a lecture or verbal instruction. But there was another page of notes written more neatly that detailed what sounded like a pill regimen, such as, and I'm paraphrasing, freezing, (laughs) paraphrasing, (laughs) y'all, Monday, One pill before breakfast on empty stomach. And so on and things like that. So there are drugs of some kind mentioned here, which sounds suspicious to me. Well, and did they ask the family, like, hey, was 
our dudes taking medication? I'm sure they did, but the family didn't know anything. If they did, they never said anything about medication of any kind. And they didn't have any kind of medical or doctor report that had a prescription. Okay. So here is what most people believed happened. Also, there's a lot of weird conspiracy theories. There's gotta be. My favorite is that they remember they're electric engineers or electric technicians or TV repairmen, however you want to phrase it. My favorite is that they were selling a radioactive material to like foreign agents and then the deal went bad and so that they were murdered. And so they bought these suits and raincoats and had those lead glasses as protection against radiation. <laughs> That's my favorite. Raincoats were enough to stop. Right, rain. right. <laughs> I'm feeling a little tingly. Just put on this raincoat. <laughs> my eyesight's going bad. We'll put these lead glasses on. Then you won't see at all. Here's what most people think happened. According to family and friends, these two men were part of a group, almost a cult-like group, that called themselves the scientific spiritless. I'm going to say that again. That Please. called themselves the scientific spiritualists. Books on spiritualism were found at both men's houses. And there were stories of them going to the beach to perform rites or ceremonies or experiments of some kind with the group. And there is even testimony that earlier in the year... The men had built a machine whose purpose was to contact the spirits of Martians or maybe even actual Martians. However, when they attempted to use the machine in their backyard, it blew up. (laughs) Gotta get to that hill. Gotta do it in the hill. (laughs) I love everything about this. I have a question. Yes. A question. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Their families are not part of this religious movement. It's just them. It's just them. They had apparently a friend who is also part of the movement that they talked to, but it seemed kind of contradictory of what was going on. Right. And they didn't really get very clear answers. Sure. But it's very clear that their families and like most of their friends are like, yeah, they kind of talked about this stuff, but we don't know. And the machine blew up, yeah. as it does. Those Martian spirits? <laughs> I was really hoping time travel was going to factor into That's that. That's actually one of the theories. Yeah. Is that. They were waiting for someone's arrival or something like that. Yeah, that they, or that they were actual time travelers, right? Who got stuck and then they were finally able to, you know, whatever. Right. Anyway, <laughs> just the idea, like these are men with no past, you know, and they just showed up, but got they married, had families. Yeah, yeah, I know. yeah. So and they're like, and they, finally and, we just go they back. Were, and they were both married. Yeah, I was about to say when you say families, we, we assume married with kids. kids. Yeah, kind of and then their their parents and everything like that. So it's not like there was a moment where they oh they just showed up in town. Because I mean I know where would have been a lot cooler if they did. <laughs> My mind goes when you say two men keep sneaking off all the time. Yes. <laughs> On a hill. Is that one of your theories? That doesn't come no, up. No, actually. That doesn't come up? That actually should come up as a I theory. I didn't read that as a theory. Yeah. I mean, actually, in the 60s, in Brazil, which is a very... Oh, yeah. Catholic. Isn't it Catholic? It is Catholic, I believe. Uh, and um, Though, spiritualism was a very popular... Oh, Catholicism is so close to spiritualism. It's not even I know. We literally eat the body of a god. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... Come but, on. I mean, like, it was, like, the third um, most popular religious movement at the time sure. in the 60s in Brazil. But anyway, everybody hate those gays. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, Vinton Hill was a bit of a popular site for UFO sightings. 
So here they are trying to talk to Martians. The hill, a lot of people have seen things over the hill, bright lights, everything like that. So that kind of makes sense, I guess. So the theory goes, whether they came up with the plan themselves or others talked them into it, Miguel and Manuel traveled to the hill thinking that they were going to have some alien encounter or experience. Alien encounter. (laughs) (laughs) They love each other. (laughs) Go ahead. But first put these glasses on. (laughs) Hey, no kink shame. (laughs) Okay, so they were going to have an alien encounter or experience a spiritual something. An ascension. Heaven's gate. Yeah. Right. You know? They took some hallucinogenic drugs, maybe. This is still the theory. Laid down, put on the masks, and unwittingly overdosed. Yeah. This seems very likely. Right. Like, and then, and some said that they probably died of dehydration, but I don't really get that because who dies of dehydration when you just drink a bottle of water? Right. Of course, they were up there for a few days, right? Oh, no, well, not like three days or something. They were dead for three days. Yeah. And again, you can live without water for three days... That's it, though. No. Yeah. Water is three days. Food is three weeks. Air is three minutes. I I think that's wrong. (laughs) Look it up. Okay. (laughs) Sleep is 10 days. Fun. God, you gotta be a fucking mess at the end of 10 days without sleep. No, you're like full-on batshit crazy. Yeah. There is also no... Let's try that for season two. Batshit crazy? Ten days without sleep. Ten days without sleep. Yeah. We record all of season two without (laughs) sleeping. Okay. There is also no actual proof that there is anyone else involved in the scientific spiritualism. So no one who was part of the cult is involved with this. Right. There's no proof that the cult actually exists. What? There's a third guy who said that he participated. He never said it. What the fuck? I'm confused. <laughs> they said that they had a friend who may have been part of it, but he never said, oh, yeah, I'm part of that cult. Well, who's who's they? The family? Yeah. So, yeah. I think it's it's less cult. I think they had a hobby. They like to do drugs and Look for watch the effects. Okay. Now, what people say is what people say, but there's no proof right. that right. the cult exists. So, it may be just them too feeding off of their own delusions right yeah um i forget what it's called but there's a thing where two people uh, a lot of times it happens with sisters and that they feed off each other's uh, delusions or um sociopathy or whatever and and leads to murder like those two sisters who jumped in front of cars and stuff like that. right and i forget the term but um they were swedish or something like that i think they were twins yeah that's a very interesting story it is Anyway, continue. I did jot that down. Um, I put it right next to my cryptid. Um, Your journal. Be somewhere at 1630. <laughs> However, it was later found out that four years prior to this event, on a hill not far from Vietnam, the same scene had been discovered. Another electronic engineer technician. TV repairman. TV repairman. Laying peacefully in the grass. Just one this time. Yes. With a lead mask. Huh. Huh. And dead. I just and like dead. dead. But so that means... <laughs> hey, dude, what you doing? So that means, right, yeah. in my mind, that means this event happened. These two read about it or something. Try to do it. And then thought of a reason as to why, because apparently that guy also had delusions of 
meeting aliens or something like that, right? So they read about it. They're like, this guy knew what he was talking about. He probably ascended. We can do the same thing. And then they follow suit. Or there is some kind of cult and they're giving out directions and this is some kind of ritual or rite. Well, that's bizarre shit. No, I love it. It's super mysterious. I want to know what the masks are for. Like, is it some kind of protection or is it if you're taking some kind of hallucinogen to make sure like it's essentially like, I think it's like keep a sens- your eyes closed right right I think, right. Like, it's, it's like a, a sensory deprivation, a sensory deprivation thing. Thing. Yes. yeah I think it's a sensory deprivation thing that was supposed to open you up to communication with aliens you take the pill you get fucking stoned you can't see or hear anything. And, and then, then you die. And then you die. <laughs> but, so no one can actually say, did it work or not? Because even though your body's dead, who knows what happened to your consciousness? You could have hitched a ride on that spaceship that was Ugh. flying behind the asteroid. Ugh. That's wild. You could cut my gasp at the beginning. That was because I, I had heard the story before. Really? Yeah. Is that why? <laughs> that is why. <laughs> but it is it is fascinating. It's just, uh, it's that is so weird. Yeah. and there's It's always a- weird when there's like cryptic messages and weird costumes you know stuff like that well also it's like the whole like they told their family oh we're going to san San paulo and but then they are like they go five hours well god knows where to be on a hill well i mean obviously their family was not fond of their cult or whatever kind of experiences they were having together so i think that i think that's pretty self-explanatory as they were wanting to keep that secret right but what they were looking for is just a fascinating idea. Right. I, don't I think know. it's going to have to do something with aliens. Yeah. Not legitimate. Just two guys who are messed up in the head. Or, you know, looking for something. Each other. Each other. <laughs> I want to know what the pills were. Yeah. I, I cannot. We, we have to assume that is, uh, again, assuming they did not ascend or get abducted right. by aliens mentally or whatever mm-hmm. uh that the pill they, they took is what killed them right but the fact that they didn't do an autopsy right. or or toxicology of any sort is really baffling like did they have anything on the first guy that died the four years prior no. then that's another one like why didn't they do because i mean also and i don't know how laws work in brazil. Uh, in brazil if it wasn't a murder then it's not a crime but so let's say but that how they did OD, it's like, why spend government money on that? Right. If, because, I mean, they did it to themselves. But also, the, there was a note in a couple of different articles that I read about, they specifically said there was no sign of overdose. Right. Yeah. Like, there was no foaming at the mouth. There was no vomit. There, Change color skin. Yeah, they mind. didn't have, like, um... Uh, sometimes the belly, dis- you know, distends. distends or something like that. There was none of that. There was no pooping themselves. They just looked like they went to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy one. And, okay, this all happened in the 60s. One guy did it, two guys did it later. Nobody's done it since then? Not that I've found. People, field people trips? Spirit, <laughs> spirit, uh, the scientific spiritualists are like, okay, guys, this is probably Too not much. working. <laughs> Or everybody else found the right hill. Yeah, right. Oh, man. Or they're just doing it in basements and not being found. Gross. Poor Yikes. That poor 18-year-old kid flying his kite just comes across two dead bodies. Wait a minute. If it was the middle of the, He was flying a kite in the middle of the night? No, no, no. He, <laughs> it was in the afternoon when he was flying his right. kite. And so... I'm not sure if he was 18 or younger. I okay. saw one place that he was 18... 
But again, he's flying a kite with his friends or whatever, so he could have been younger. I don't know. I just want to put that out there. Because, um, you know, the more you picture an 18-year-old flying a kite, the more. Anyway, he found the bodies in the afternoon. He called the police. The police show up, and they're like, well, we can't do anything because oh, gotcha. the sun is going now. Right, that would make sense, because now the reporters know where they are and everything like that. Yeah. So, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> flying a kite in the middle of the night. That actually sounds like something an 18-year-old would do. <laughs> right? On hallucinogenic drugs. Right, exactly. Yeah, that pill thing is interesting. I definitely would want to know what's in their system. It's such a shame that they didn't save anything to be tested later or anything like that. Yeah, and now like the the mask thing. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. They did. There was a note that in some of their spiritualists' books, there were parts highlighted about overwhelming light and stuff like that. So maybe they thought wherever they were going was going to have this blinding light oh. and they needed to shade themselves from it. Well, and, or and they might have thought there was some kind of radiation. Yeah, I was about to say. But even if that's the case, those glasses aren't going to do much. Right. <laughs> but the it was like in the 60s might have been early days about the knowledge of radiation, but they knew a little bit because of the TV stuff they were working on and things like that. And it could have been something related to that. I'm not True. sure. Yeah, no, the lead masks are... Bizarre. Bizarre. Yeah, the weirdest thing for me is the the event from four years earlier. I know, I kind of would like to know more about that guy. Like, yeah. was he part of something that was called the Scientific Spiritualists, or... Like, I think they had even less information about him. That's so... That's crazy. Except that he worked as a electronic technician. technician. There are some people who believe that because maybe all these people were involved in spiritualism maybe they went to a seance or something like that like there were people preying on them and saying hey we can get you ascended give us some money and we'll take you to where you need to go or something like that but pill to help but then if that was the case then it worked three times (laughs) and that's it i like to think uh that it worked they ascended. They, they found ascended. whatever the, it the was. The UFO came down. Their eyeballs didn't burn out of their head because they were wearing the mask. <laughs> and they needed to be dressed well, and it was raining. So, Was the first guy in a raincoat? Or just the lead masks? I think he was very similar, where he was wearing like nice clothes and things like that. You gotta get dressed up for the aliens. You gotta make a good first impression. That's right. They're judgy son wow. of bitches. Well, that is wonky as shit. All right, let's cite some sources. Oh, okay, yes, let's do that. Let's. As I mentioned, there's a great Dateline episode called The Black Widow of Lomita. I also got information from cbsnews.com and 89.3 KPCC, which I believe were a local (laughs) newspaper or radio station (laughs) for Lomita. Hey, they had a good article. (sighs) Playing the hits. I can dream. I'm going to be a DJ when I grow up. 80s Fridays. (laughs) And my sources are from mindfloss.com, Reddit, thevintagenews.com, and episode one of Supernatural with Ashley Flowers. <laughs> Which is a podcast. Oh. I thought it was episode one of Supernatural. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The TV show. I'm like, wait a minute. They didn't deal with the lead masks in no, episode one. No, no, one. no. They're, it's, it's pretty Plus, that's not a source, Joe. That's a TV show. <laughs> it's a source for me. <laughs> they know everything about aliens. Everything is real. Actually, in Supernatural, aliens don't exist. But no, Supernatural, the podcast is actually pretty good. Okay. She went into very uh, like a lot more depth than I did, so. Cool, cool. Ashley Flowers. Cool, 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 cool. Cool. Bye.
And this is our last episode. Aww. And the last thing you'll hear is Richard going, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> I'm not good at sound effects. <laughs> I think you're excellent at oh, sound thank effects. You, thank you. Yeah. So if you'd like to hear more next season, make sure you follow and like us on all the social medias, such as Clinton. Oh, God. Uh, we, have a, we have a Facebook. Murder Brunch Podcast, I think. Yes. Instagram. Murder Brunch. Twitter. At Murder Brunch. Email? Which is murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. And our website can be found at murderbrunchpodcast.com. Lovely. Excellent. All right. This is us saying goodbye for at least a few months. But we'll be back. So join us in a few months for more mayhem. More murder. More snacks. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I'm crying. (laughs) You look like you're crying. Stop talking about my face. I love your face.